Good morning. All right, turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning there, um, do you remember what Pastor Farrell taught about last Sunday morning? What was he teaching out of? What book? Book of Revelation. And what city was he addressing? Smyrna, wasn't he? All right. It's interesting because Smyrna, which is located... There's Ephesus. It's right up here. Smyrna's right in there. Smyrna's in the same area that Peter is writing his letter to. Now, do you remember what Pastor Farrell was teaching that Smyrna was, was going through? What was the situation? They were being persecuted. Yeah, they were being persecuted. All right? Now, this is the same church probably that Peter was writing to one of many, many, many churches in the area that in the 60s, um, uh, the letter to Smyrna, Revelation was probably, I think Pastor Farrell said around 92, okay? This would be around 62 or 63. So Pastor Farrell was uh, preaching about the letter of John that was to go to uh, Smyrna because of the persecution that they had been going through. And this persecution was back in 62 or 63 A.D. So it's interesting. That letter is about 30 years after what Peter is writing to them who are suffering persecution. And it kind of gives you two things. The period of time or how long they were going through persecution and they were successfully going through it. So in, in my mind, I like to think, well, maybe they really read Peter's letter really, really well and uh, really heeded to what Peter had to say. But I found it was as in the first time I ever noticed that the connection between Smyrna and the people that Peter was writing to. Okay. Do you wonder why the world responds to the way to you the way that they do? When uh, they look askance at you and they make fun of you and maybe they even kind of give you some kind of persecution. Do you ever wonder why the world does that? I want to tell you something. You are a special class of people. Christians are a special class of people. Uh, In many important ways, we're not like those people out there in the world. The unbelievers, the unregenerate. We're not like them. We're different. We enjoy many unique and special eternal privileges that that they don't. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the duties of being a Christian. uh, Focused only on the duties. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And we forget the privileges that we have as Christians. And we have some wonderful privileges. It's kind of like, uh, remember the story in the Gospels of Mary and Martha? Jesus visits the house. And you have Martha, who is what? Very interested in doing her duties. Hospitalities is what she was doing. And then you had Mary, and what was Mary interested in? Devotion. Devotion. She had the special privilege of sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ 
and she took advantage of that privilege. So she was looking at her privilege where Martha was looking at her duties, if you will. Um, You know, in heaven, in heaven we have some very special privileges. What are some of those privileges we're going to have in heaven? Think of the difference between what we have here and what we're going to have there. We're going to see the Lord. That's right. Uh, Peter says, you don't see him, but you believe in him. We're going to see the Lord. What other privileges do we have? What's that? No sin. No sin sin from us, but no sin around us either. No temptation. Yeah, that was good. Any other privileges we're going to have? No death. No death. No death. What's some other privileges there, Wilson? Get to know the Lord. Get to in his, uh, in his presence and, and just understand it. Yeah, we're going to get we're going to get to know the Lord. And Wilson, what, what's another privilege we're going to have in heaven? Good health. Good health, exactly. Good health. You're not going to have to worry about your health. So we have some wonderful privileges in heaven. But you know what? We also have some duties when we get to heaven. Did you think about that? We have some duties. What are going to be some of our duties in heaven? Worship, exactly. Worship's one of our duties in heaven. What's, what goes along with that? Singing. Singing, exaltation, praising the Lord, honoring him. And another one that I don't completely understand, but I'm pretty sure, is we're going to be doing some serving when we get to heaven. We're going to be doing some serving. And yes. Not to get too technical. Go ahead. In Revelation, normally the Greek verb that's used for worship is also translated as service. Oh, wow. One and the same. Okay. Great. So they're, so, they're really tied together. They are. Yeah, thank you, Don. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's when we get to heaven. You know, as Brian said on Friday at, at Herald's service, we cannot conceive all the duties and privileges of heaven. We really cannot conceive of how wonderful and how great heaven's going to be. And and we just it's just hard to take that in because we haven't been there. It's something that the Lord has planned for us that is so great and so wonderful. He didn't even talk about it. He just said, you're going to like it when you get there. Well, Peter has so far listed some duties that we have as believers. Okay? Um, We have as as God's chosen. One of those is holiness in verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. That's one of the duties he's already talked about. Another one is fervently love one another. Verse 22 of chapter 1. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. That's another duty we have here. Another one we talked about last week. Verse 2 of chapter 2. To long for the pure milk of the word. That's, That's another one of our duties. Well, before he continues with some some more of these duties that we have. And when we get to them, it's going to be like submission to authority. He is going to bless us with some of our privileges now. He's talked a little bit about duties. Now he's going to stop and say, ah, before I talk about more duties, 
Let's talk about the privileges. How wonderful it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. He's going to use all kinds of imagery to help us understand it. He's going to talk about a building made of stones. He's going to talk about priesthood. He's going to talk about being a chosen race. He's going to talk about being a a holy nation. So Peter has all kinds of wonderful imagery, just like the last week. Uh, Long for the pure milk of the word. The imagery that that Peter has to, to teach us is extremely helpful. It's great imagery. Do you see yourselves as just a select group of people to be persecuted? And in other words, do not just focus on the trials, but do you see yourself as a special group of people with wonderful privileges? Have you really given thought to that? Do you keep your mind on the wonderful privileges? Are, are we so caught up in the duties? I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to be at church on Sunday. I, I got a, a service to go to on Friday. I, I have to go help so-and-so get to the hospital. And we get so caught up in the duties that we forget the wonderful privileges that we should be dwelling on and, and thinking about. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, we're going to see it this way in the scripture we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at, first of all, our initiation into the privileges. Then we're going to talk about our privilege of union with Christ, our privilege of access to God, our privilege of security in Christ, and our privilege of eternal heaven. Those are our privileges we're going to look at today. So if you'd look, please, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, I'll follow along as I read, <clears throat> beginning uh, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. The imagery uh, that we have right here is that of building a house. And he talks about a cornerstone. Uh, What's a cornerstone? You're building a building. What's the cornerstone? What's a cornerstone? Yeah. Uh, If you're building a building, and we're going to look down on the top of it, um, let's say you don't have a cornerstone, and you start saying, okay, here's, here's a stone... And here's a stone, and I put one over here, and I put one there, and I put one down there. 
and before you got it, you got a, a, a building that's going to look something maybe like this, okay? And that's not really what you want. You want a rectangular building, if you will. So you begin with the cornerstone, looking down the top of it, okay? That cornerstone does what? It tells you where to lay all the rest of the stones in that direction and where to lay all the rest of the stones in that direction. That's the cornerstone. That establishes where all your other boundaries of your building are going to be and uh, how you're going to how you're going to put it all together. So Doris, you got that completely right. That's what a cornerstone is. It's the foundational stone, stone of the foundation itself. Uh, Paul uses the imagery in, uh, let me read to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Um, begin verse 10 according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder I laid a foundation and another is building on it but each man must be careful how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ alright so he's he's using the same kind of imagery of a, of a building there and he uh he uses the imagery again over in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 20. Uh, he writes, <clears throat> Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Uh, Jesus uses the, um, the imagery also. Uh, we're going to look at that uh, shortly in Matthew chapter 21. This is a spiritual house. Uh, he's using the imagery of building a, a real house uh, in order to talk about a spiritual house. And a spiritual house, what, what spiritual house is he talking about here? Where you have Jesus as the cornerstone. We're going to look at later on uh, the, the words of the apostles and prophets. The teaching is the foundation. And then, and then everything else is built on that. Okay. What do you think this, what would we call the house today? The house is what? The, it's the church. It's the church. He's talking about the, the church being built here. Um, not, so he's talking about a house that's, that's not a physical building, but it's a fellowship of believers where Jesus Christ is the head. Remember what Jesus said, I will what? I will build my church. And how is he building the church? Well, he established himself as the cornerstone. Yeah, and from him... We get what goes to the apostles and the prophets, which is the foundation of the church. And then Jesus is bringing into the church, as Peter talks about here, the spiritual stones to build the church. All right. Our initiation into the privileges. Uh, let's look at verse 4 again. 
and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Coming to him, coming to him. The call to follow Christ is described um, by Jesus, if you will. It's described as coming to him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, in some ways, you may look at what Jesus had to say, and he says, oh, he's just saying, come and get saved. Come to me to be saved. But remember what he said back here in 1128. Come to me, all who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Well, that's not just getting saved. That's more than getting saved. That's being saved and walking with him, learning from him. Okay? That's the, that's the, the life of sanctification. So what, what Peter is saying, what, what Jesus is saying, the, the idea of coming to him is coming to him in salvation and in sanctification. These, um, the, the verb for coming for him, it's an intense compound verb. Uh, it really means, uh, when you get the understanding there, it's an intimate, abiding, personal fellowship. So Peter is saying, and coming to him in an intimate, abiding, personal fellowship. Um, it's the idea of continuous movement. It's the idea of the entire person, if you will. Ongoing, growing fellowship with Christ. Uh, it's the same kind of idea that we have when we long for the word. When we long for the word, we are coming to him. And believers are coming to a living stone. It says here, and come to him to a living stone. A living stone. It's a, When you look at the gospels, it's the idea of a living is someone who has died and now they live forever. That's the living stone. It's a stone that has died, has gone through all that, and now is forever living. This living stone was rejected. Rejected by men. The idea rejected there is, is the, um, the idea of they have examined his claim to be Christ. They've examined Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. And based on their own blind hearts and their false beliefs, they concluded that he did not measure up. It's the idea that it's not just, uh, uh, we don't know. It's the idea, okay, we hear what you say. We're listening. And you know what? We don't believe it. We reject it. That's what it means, rejected by men. You know, the gospel, that's, that's the idea of the gospel. We give the gospel. The gospel is given out. And when you give the full gospel to somebody, you know what? They have to respond. 
There has to be a response to that. There has to be a response where someone says, I believe or I reject it. It's got to be one of the others. There's no in-between. Because even to say is, I'll think about it later on, is saying I'm rejecting it for right now. Because the command of Jesus Christ is, be saved, be saved today. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So the Jews that he's talking about here, those that rejected him, they believed him to be too weak. They believed him to be too humble to overthrow the Romans and gain the Jews their national freedom. That's what they were looking for. They had an idea, if you will, they had an idea what God should be like. They had an idea what the Messiah should be like. But that was man's idea. It wasn't God's idea. So they rejected him. He didn't measure up to any of what the Jewish establishment's expectations were. Jesus was rejected by man, but look what it says. But it is choice and precious in the sight of God. Choice and precious in the sight of God. At Jesus' baptism, do you remember what God said? Right. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father measured the son by the standards of divine perfection. Precious and choice in the sight of God. Yes, Ashton. That verse 29. (coughs) Take my yoke upon you. One Thursday morning... I was meditating on that verse, and that morning I was going to the summit with uh, the other group that was going there uh, for ministry, and Paul Lovewood was there, and Lisa's saying as always, but anyway, I said, because, I said, come here. I'd taken a broom, broom handle with me that morning, and I took the broom handle and laid it on Claude's shoulder. And then I took the other end and laid it on my shoulder. And we were joined together by a broom handle. (laughs) (laughs) And and, but to illustrate the fact that we are that close to the the Lord and joined to him Mm. uh, and much more than a broom handle. (laughs) And that's right. And that's, that's all part of coming to him that Peter says. You um, and coming to Him, that being joined to Him, and we're going to talk about union with Him really shortly, right here. You know, <clears throat> we must come to the Living Stone to receive the blessed privileges that come with salvation and sanctification. All right, the privilege of union with Christ. That's one of the privileges we have. Look at verse 5. You also, as living stones, you also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house. When unbelievers come to Christ in salvation, when sinners come to him in faith, the living stone, we also become living stones like him. We're sharing his life. Remember, he's, he's the foundational stone, okay? He's the 
the cornerstone. But we're also stones, which means we are like him then. When we are built up and become a part of his church, we are like him. We're sharing his life. Christ, as the living stone, died and rose again and lives again. And we have died with him. And we are alive with him. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, for you have died. Now, he's not talking to people in heaven right now. Okay? He's talking about people who are walking this earth. But he says, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. We died with him, understanding uh, theology correctly. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. But you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. And we have died with him. He died, and he's alive eternally. Folks, we have died, and guess what? We are alive eternally. Our eternal lives do not start in heaven. Our eternal lives began the moment that we believed on Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So, in many ways, we are like him like that. And, and we do not just worship and obey him. As spiritual stones, we're united with the cornerstone. We are united with Christ. Just uh, think of the stones building a building. They're all touching, connected together. We are united with that cornerstone. And we're setting on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. And, and that's the word that we long for that we talked about last week. So think about that, that the church. Okay, the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And he's the head of the church. Okay? But the church is the, the pillar and foundation of what? The truth. It's the pillar and foundation of the truth, which is, all right, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. The truth. You know, when we're in union with Christ, we not only receive the privileges that come with this union, we're also part of the spiritual building, the church that Christ uses to build his kingdom. So when you think of uh, us, uh, the, the stones that we are, the living stones, the part of the church. Well, when you think of a building, you think of the stone just sits there. But when you think of spiritual stones, you think of stones that don't just sit there. They're being used to build the church, to build Christ's kingdom, if you will. So, the privilege of union with Christ we also have the privilege of access to God. The privilege of access to God. Look at verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house for what? A holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know what? There is a whole world that has a history of, and even now is full of unredeemed people. Think of the history of the earth. 
Think of all the unredeemed people through the ages. Think of all the unredeemed people out there that um, we meet and greet so often. And all of those people in the past and all of these people out there that are unredeemed have no access to God. Did you ever think of that? They have no access to God. There is only one way to God. And what's that way? Through Jesus Christ. So if you're not going through Jesus Christ as a believer, you have no access to God. Now think about that. Really give thought to that. No access to God. You have no foundation on which to say as an unbeliever, well, I'm going to talk to God. Because you don't even know him. You don't even know him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice righteousness. Those are people who thought they knew the Lord. Those are people who thought they had access to God. And they really didn't. But we, we have access to God. We have access as as Peter talks about here, as a spiritual house. Uh, The writer of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 6 says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Could have said over his church. Over his believers. Over his followers. Over his Christians. Whose house we are. We are that house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and boast of our hope. Let's talk about uh, God's presence in the Old Testament. Where was God's presence in the Old Testament among the Jews? Where was it? It was in the tabernacle, wasn't it? It was in the tabernacle. A house made with hands, if you will, which had to be entered into in order to be in his presence. But as spiritual stones, members of his house, his presence is with us. His presence is always with it. We always have access to him. Unbelievers have no access. We always have access. We don't have to come here to church on Sunday in order to get access to God the Father. We always have access as believers. And even if you if, even if you wanted to, in the you'd go to the tabernacle, and what would they say? You're not coming in here. We'll do it for you. We'll do the sacrifices for you. We'll approach God for you. We had 
in the Old Testament, you had to have priests who were between you and God, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we don't have that. Okay? There was a priesthood in the Old Testament. But it's not like the priesthood that Peter is referring to here. Unlike the Old Testament priesthood, all believers are a holy priesthood. Now think about that. We are a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, someone else was doing that for you and me. But now, we are the priesthood. There are some similarities between the Old Testament priesthood and, and our priesthood today. Now let's, we can look at those quickly. First of all, in the Old Testament, God sovereignly chose the priest. God sovereignly chose the priest. And you find that in Exodus chapter 28. Well, you know what? It's the same in the New Testament. The priesthood of believers, God sovereignly has chosen who's going to be in his priesthood. In the Old Testament, God cleansed them from their sin before they were to work at their duties. Okay? In other words, when it was their turn to do their priestly duties, first of all, uh, sacrifices had to be made for their sins. They were cleansed from sins. You know what? It's the same in the New Testament. Before we became priests, we were cleansed of our sin. We were saved from our sin. In the Old Testament, as Dora said, God clothed the priests for service. And we find that in Exodus chapter 28. Well, what? We're priests. Does God clothe us? Yes, he clothes us in what? In what? In his righteousness, exactly. We've been clothed in his righteousness. In the Old Testament, God through Moses appointed the Levitical priests by anointing them. And that's in Leviticus chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. Well, we're a new priesthood, and God has anointed us. God has anointed us. And he has anointed us how? With what? The Holy Spirit, exactly. We've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God prepared the priests for service. That's the Leviticus chapters 8 and 9. Well, God prepares us for service too. He does it by sanctification. Sanctification is preparing us for our service in the priesthood. In the Old Testament, God called the priests to obedience. That's Leviticus chapter 10. As in the Old Testament, for us, to obey is even better than sacrifice. So yes, he's called us to obedience too. The Old Testament priests, they stood between God and the people. They stood between God and the people to pray for them, to offer up sacrifices, and to hear from the Lord for them. Well, we do the same. We do the same. But not for others, but for ourselves. We do it for ourselves. It's just us and God. We have access directly to him. No one stands between the believer and God. We ourselves have access to God to offer up spiritual sacrifices that Peter talks about right here. 
he says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What did the Old Testament priests spend most of their ministry service doing? What's that? Worship and sacrifices. The sacrificial system. They were doing sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Okay? Well, according to Peter here, we are priests in the building. We are priests. All right? So I have a question for you. How much time do you as a priest offer sacrifices to God? How much time do you as a priest offer sacrifices to God? And I'm talking about New Testament. I'm not talking about you guys killing lambs. Okay? How how much time do you spend doing it? Well, we're going to have to identify what our spiritual sacrifices are. What are our spiritual sacrifices? Well, I have some listed for you here coming straight from the scriptures. Now, you're going to have to read this with me, and then you're going to tell me what the spiritual sacrifice is. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The priest does that. What's the sacrifice? What is the sacrifice? What's the spiritual sacrifice there that you're going to give, that you give, that we give? A holy life? Giving thanks? What does it say in the verse? Very explicit. Your bodies, yourselves, your physical bodies. You are to give them as a sacrifice, as a living and holy sacrifice. Okay? And how do you do that? How do we do that? Confess sins. Okay. What's that? Through our obedience. Service. Yes. That's what you use your body for. Service. For serving others. For serving others. Whether it's ushering. Whether it's being in the choir. Whether it's leading music. Whether it's... um, giving the word, whether it's uh, going down the street and helping another believer get to church, whatever it might be, it's what your body is used for in order to minister. And and, and it has to be with the the right attitude because it says a a living and, and holy sacrifice. So a spiritual sacrifice that we are supposed to be doing all the time is using our bodies in service for the Lord. That's a sacrifice. All right? Another spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips praising his name. What's the sacrifice there? Praising him. Praising him. Well, you know what? I don't think that that is a real sacrifice when we think of a sacrifice because I love to praise the Lord. But, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I praise the Lord when I'm in church. I'll praise the Lord sometimes in my prayers. Continually offer up a sacrifice. Continually. Do you continually 
offer up a sacrifice of praise to the Lord? Are you continually thanking him? And that's what Peter's talking about here. We should be praising him all the time. And, and a lot of times I think that's in thanking him. I've heard people say the first thing I do in the morning is I thank God that I woke up. Okay? That starts a day of continually praising him and thanking him for everything. Thanking him for the food you eat. Thanking him for the sun. My wife soon, hopefully, will be thanking him for the snow. Okay? Thank him for everything that he brings. Thank him for your family. How often, those of you that that are able to, how often do you thank him for your spouse? You can praise him all day. That's a sacrifice. Because that's saying, my mind is on God and not on here. That's what we're to do. So, what other sacrifices? Hebrews 13, 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What's the, uh, what's the sacrifice there? And guess what? There's two of them. It's a sacrifice. What are they? Doing good and sharing. Uh, I could spend a lot of time on doing good. Okay? Doing good for the Lord. Having the right attitude. Doing good. Ministering, if you will. And sharing. Giving what God has given us to others. So those are sacrifices that we're supposed to be doing in our life. And I think of that, um, do not neglect, which gives you the idea that God gives you the opportunities to do it. Don't neglect doing it when the opportunity comes. Romans 15, 15 through 16 says, But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So, um, what's the sacrifice that we're making there? What is it? You have to kind of read it deeply. If we're ministering, what? Sharing the gospel. Exactly. Sharing the gospel. So, it's a sacrifice of sharing the gospel. The sacrifice of telling others about Jesus Christ and their need for him. Those those are the sacrifices. Uh, I might have one more here. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What's a sacrifice that comes out of there that we should be doing? Loving others. Exactly. Loving others. So when we think about a priest, we are in the priesthood. We are priests. And we're supposed to be offering up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, 
These are the spiritual sacrifices. What we do in our body, and, and I think about praising from our lips and what we do in our body, and I, I think about chapter 4 in 1 Peter, verse 10. As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, do so as one who is serving by the strength which, which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Using our spiritual gifts. What we do now by using our spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's speaking. Sometimes it's using our hands and our feet. These are, these are the spiritual sacrifices that we can do. And you know what? Any believer can do it from the moment they are redeemed. From the moment they are born again. All right, we're going to... We still have um, our privilege of security in Christ and our privilege of eternal heaven and a few other ones, so we'll pick up on those next week. Uh, any questions or, or comments before I close in prayer? Yes, Ashton, sir. Uh, on Thursday mornings, around 10.30, Pastor uh, Alley is leading some of our people in service to the nursing home, Pearl, Pearl's wife, up on the mountain, uh, and uh, other, uh, every Thursday morning, we're having, uh, and Bob Logwood is always there, being seen, and, and others uh, are there. So that, that's a good, uh, good time of sharing. For some of our old, of our, of our members are in these nursing homes. Mm. So it's a good time of sharing. It's a good time of ministering, using the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You're using the time that God has given you. That's a good, that's a good example. Thank you. Anything else? Any other comments or questions? So hopefully, get out of this. We have duties to do. Okay, but we also have privileges, and one of those privileges is that we're the priesthood. We're, we're priests for Jesus Christ. And as priests, we have some things to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. I thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. I thank you so much for the admonitions and the teaching that Peter has given to these believers of old who were um, suffering and in the face of persecution. Heavenly Father. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only help us to learn what Peter is teaching, but help help us to apply it in our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, may we dwell on the privileges that we have. And Lord, along with these privileges come some responsibilities, uh, the sacrifices that we are to make. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would quicken our minds, quicken our hearts, uh, so that we would take advantage of these, Heavenly Father, doing your will. Pray for Pastor Farrell as he's going to be continuing to teaching out of Revelation this morning. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be with him and be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.